Welcome back to another edition of On the Record, the Daily Iowans Weekly News Podcast, where we break down the paper's top headlines from the week. I'm your host, Eleanor Hildebrandt, and I'm here with our co-producers, Meg Doster and Colin Yee. On this week's episode, we have three special guests. We will be chatting with Daily Iowan news reporters Anthony Neary and Ryan Hansen. We will also check in with news reporter Kate Perez about her project on the history of the Iowa City Pedestrian Mall. Whether you're in the car, at home, or in the classroom, we'd like to welcome you to this Friday, March 25th edition of On the Record. In case you missed anything from last week, the DI's top headlines can be found on our website. This week, the Daily Iowan reported on... Iowa was ranked as the third worst state for Black Americans behind Minnesota and Wisconsin, according to a new study published by 24-7 Wall Street, a financial news and opinion company based in Delaware. This study focused on medium household income, home ownership, and incarceration to analyze gaps in race-based socioeconomic outcomes. Recently, flocks of pelicans have been in Iowa City and on the Iowa River. Having the birds here is natural, although some Iowa City residents say they've never seen this many here before. And in the latest edition of our community section, Amplify, the Daily Iowan reported on the University of Iowa gaining national recognition for its support of women in leadership positions across its campus following a new study that examined 130 institutions to assess gender gaps in leadership. The study ranked the UI at number four. You can read all these stories and more in the Daily Iowan's print editions on Mondays and Wednesdays or online anytime at dailyiowan.com. News reporter Anthony Neary is here to talk about his story on Iowa's OSHA not issuing the University of Iowa violations for its COVID-19 safety guidelines and policies. Welcome, Anthony. We're excited to have you on this edition of the podcast. How is everything going? Everything's going pretty well. Thank you for having me. So can you start by telling us about why OSHA had an investigation and what they found out during this investigation portion? Yeah, so OSHA had an investigation in the first place because COGS uh, at the University of Iowa, the Campaign to Organize Graduate Students, has been investigating or, or wanting them to investigate the university's COVID policies and what they're doing to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. So they've been pushing for that since the fall of last semester in 2021. And now they've finally uh, gone through with it, but they've never been able to alter the university's stance on uh, COVID-19 policy so far. Yeah. And so why did OSHA decide against issuing any violations to the University of Iowa? I think OSHA decided not to do that because they found that the University of Iowa doesn't actually violate any current CDC guidelines. And well, actually, it's in the word guidelines, really, as to why they, they didn't cite them for any violations. The CDC can only recommend certain things for the University of Iowa, and they can't mandate that the university, for example, requires masks or vaccination status or something like that. And so what was the response from the university to OSHA's decision and to their findings after this investigation was completed? The university did not change. They didn't budge. They basically heard from OSHA that OSHA didn't issue any citations against them. So they just stood their ground. And that's basically it. And you mentioned the University of Iowa's graduate student union, known as COGS, as the campaign to organize graduate students, initially filed complaints against the UI with OSHA. So what was the organization's response to the decision overall? So basically, COGS was pretty disappointed in the response that, that OSHA didn't uh, cite the university for any violations. The COGS publicity 
and press chair Caleb Klipowicz said he hopes that the university will take graduate students' health and safety more seriously. And he also said that he thinks hazard pay is a reasonable compensation for what he considers a lack of worker safety if the university continues requiring um, in-person instruction, no matter what the circumstances for the professor. Cogs really wants to continue to press the university on COVID-19 safety measures. Yeah, that's that's pretty much that. Yeah, it's definitely something that is still kind of developing and continuing regardless of OSHA's decision. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Anthony, and chatting with us about your story. Yeah, thanks for having me. Next up, we have news reporter Ryan Hansen, who wrote a story this week on the Iowa City City Council's consideration of funding for the relocation of residents in the Forest View Mobile Home Park within the county. Welcome, Ryan. We're excited to have you on the podcast as a guest today. How has your week been going so far? Pretty good. Just kicking it back into gear after a well-needed break from school. Yeah, and you actually had a birthday during that. So happy belated birthday and welcome back. So you, so could you start by explaining a little bit about the history behind the city council's decision and discussion when it comes to Forest View Mobile Home Park? Yeah, so Forest View has been something that's been on the city council's radar for a little while now. In 2019, they approved a collective zoning agreement that would change the zoning designation of uh, the mobile home park. But because the owners failed to check off some of the boxes, that those plans have not come to fruition. Yeah, for sure. So this has been a multi-year process as it continues into spring 2022. And so where is the council now when it comes to discussing potential payments for residents' relocation or other plans to help these residents relocate potentially? Yeah, so the council's currently in the opening stages of, of discussing this and, and thinking about this. But what they're currently thinking about now is trying to get residents out of the park. They've seen the population of the park shrink massively over the last couple of years, and the park just generally has fallen into to disrepair. The council is looking to incentivize people to move out. They don't actually have any legal standing to, to force people out, but they want to get people out and, and somehow maybe repurpose this this land by working with, with the current owners of the or another ownership group. For sure. And how much exactly would the residents receive if these payments were approved by the city council? So initial council discussion yielded a, a number at $15,750 for uh, residents to move out of the mobile home park. Originally, the, the way that this began was using a consideration based on a self-reported income. Some members of the council decided that that might not be the best way to, to measure income. Councilor Sean Harmson mentioned that the threshold that they had originally set, which was below $41,000 for a, a particular household, was far too low. As as he said, if you're making $41,000 as a, as a you know, married couple and a with a child or something like that, you know, you're not exactly, quote, rolling in it is what he said. And so they've decided maybe to, to shy away from looking at income, but certainly they're considering giving $15,000 roughly to every single resident based on a particular time in which they lived in the park. And this has all been going on for a couple of years now, these communications, these conversations, trying to rezone and trying to find a way to help support these specific residents within Iowa City. But where do we go from here? What are the next steps now, so many years and so many conversations into this whole process? Yeah, so a lot of what we heard last night was about how the counselors are really 
empathizing with the the residents of the park. And so I think what we're going to see next is is the council try to take some action over the next couple months to get this financial incentive for the residents of the park and try to just finally solve this whole situation. There was a couple members of the council voiced some frustration, I guess, appreciation for residents of the park for going through all of this over the course of the past couple of years. And so I think we're just going to have to keep an eye out for anything that might come next. But councilors were certainly very passionate in their work session yesterday regarding this topic. And they visited with members of the Tenants Association for the park on Sunday. A few of the members of of council did. And so they sort of have this connection with them. And and so I think that that will certainly drive some of their action moving forward. Definitely something to keep updated on as we continue with this process for another year. And who knows when it will be done. But thank you so much, Brian, for hopping on the podcast with us and chatting about this story and, and overall city council meeting coverage. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me on. Finally, we have news reporter Kate Perez, who is here to talk about her first project within a series of projects on the history of the Iowa City Pedestrian Mall. Welcome, Kate. We are so excited to have you on to chat about this story. How has your week been so far? My week's been good. It's been a little stressful, like everybody else's, but it's been good. Just getting back into the swing of things. It's all good. And so... This story is about the Iowa City Pedestrian Mall, and it's part of a larger series. So could you tell us a little bit about how you came up with the story idea and what the process has looked like for you so far? I actually saw the idea. I was given the idea kind of by Josie, editor Josie Fischels, and um, I I grew up visiting Iowa City with my family and walking around the Ped Mall, and I thought it'd be really cool to learn about the history and kind of how it came to be in Iowa City and its impact. And so I spent a lot of hours at the State Historical Society and researching, and it was more than worth it. Yeah, our our Ped Mall is always evolving and changing. So it's always good to go through history and see how that has happened before we all got to see it. And so when was the Ped Mall first proposed and constructed within Iowa City? Yeah, so the Ped Mall was first proposed when urban renewal was proposed in Iowa City, and that was in 1962. A lot of cities all over the country in the 1960s were undergoing urban renewal, where they kind of just redid their downtown to make it more modern and make more people want to come to the downtown to shop versus going to a shopping mall. And so Iowa City was no different, and the Ped Mall was included in that kind of plan for urban renewal. However, the construction of the Ped Mall actually did not begin until late in the summer of 1977, and it was ultimately finished in September of 1979. Yeah, so obviously the initial project that created the Ped Mall that we all now know and live with here in Iowa City took a little bit of time, so that's always... Interesting. And so were there any complications with the Ped Mall's initial project when they were creating that space? Yeah, so multiple lawsuits actually halted the construction and the city um, ultimately had to redesign not only the Ped Mall, but the urban renewal plans at one point. And so the plans for the Ped Mall and the construction downtown just kept getting pushed back and back until um, the city was kind of able to figure out the plans and move forward without the lawsuits stopping them. This isn't on the dock, but do you know how like people originally felt when this started? So can I ask a question about that? And alongside those lawsuits, were there any other interesting details that you found while doing research and interviews for this project about people's initial reactions to the Ped Mall in the 1960s? Yeah, so I found out that 
The Penn Mall was originally not wanted at all when it was first being proposed and constructed. People didn't really like the idea of having to park and then walk more to the stores they wanted to go to instead of just pulling up in front of it and going straight in. And even after the Penn Mall project went ahead, they weren't happy because stores that were on Washington Street and Dubuque Street and Clinton Street were putting like mobile trailers on the street itself because everything was torn up and people didn't like that. They didn't like being able to not walk places or park. So originally it was not wanted and they weren't excited about it. They just saw it as more construction, but now it's beloved. Yeah, it's interesting to see how such an interesting and intricate space within Iowa City has evolved over time, which is exactly what your next two pieces of this project will be. Would you like to give us a little bit of a preview about what we might read rather soon in The Daily Iowan with this series? Yeah, so the next series is the present section of the Ped Mall, what it looks like today and how it got there. So I'm going to be writing about kind of the more recent renovations in, in 2019 to the bricks and everything. And city council just passed that there's going to be a new playground. And so, yeah, the, I'm going to be visiting the art and how like the different murals that were there got there. So yeah, uh, be on the lookout for that. And for our listeners, that is both going to be in print as was this story, but we also have a individual webpage on our website for this project, the past, present, and future of the Ped Mall. So you can definitely check that out if you're interested. But thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Kate, and chatting with us about your first project in a series. We look forward to having you back again to chat about the next piece. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Follow The Daily Iowan on social media and check our website for breaking news updates and the latest campus and Iowa City related news. Tune in next week for another edition of On the Record.